0: Welcome to the Buddha Sasana podcast. This talk was given by Biku Chintita in Chisago City, Minnesota. The 12 links of dependent co-arising are the Buddha's account of how we entangle ourselves in samsara. In reference to both its depth and its comprehensiveness, the Buddha once said, Whoever sees dependent co-arising sees the Dhamma. Whoever sees the Dhamma sees dependent co-arising. Dependent co-arising and internal analysis both deal with the cognitive constructedness of the world, and both follow the same logic, that of conditionality, that one thing leads to another, and that wrong choices early on lead to problems later on. In short, the twelve links are ignorance gives rise to formations, formations gives rise to cognizance. Cognizance gives rise to name and form. Name and form gives rise to the sixfold sphere. The sixfold sphere gives rise to contact. Contact gives rise to feeling. Feeling gives rise to craving. Craving gives rise to appropriation. Appropriation gives rise to becoming. Becoming gives rise to birth. And birth gives rise to this massive suffering in samsara. We notice, first of all, that a lot of factors independent co-arising are mentioned in the Satipatthana exercises, particularly in the contemplations of the aggregates and the six-fold sphere. The co- topics of contemplation in two of the Satipatthana exercises correspond directly to two of the twelve links, feeling and the six-fold sphere. We notice that four of the five aggregates are found among the links. Form, which is found in name and form. Feeling, formations, cognizance. And another link is the attribute attached to the aggregates as a whole, appropriation. It's hard to miss that the sequence formations give rise to cognizance. Cognizance gives rise to name and form within the 12 links, is really the aggregate, somewhat elaborated with feeling and perception tucked in as factors within name, which are then supplemented by intention, contact, and attention, which themselves are traces of the formations and cognizance links. The aggregates are a streamlined version of these three links. The causal relations in the sequence formations give rise to cognizance, gives rise to name and form, distinguishes itself from the simpler five aggregates in giving cognizance a central role as the engine of presumption. Presumptions themselves are formations, that is, events of derivation or cognitive inference but they are assembled by cognizance. Then cognizance is put into a dynamic relationship with name and form, which serves as a platform for results of cognition, in which cognizance both reads and writes, depending on where attention draws it. Contact refers to the world produced by presumption, a world founded on the principles that there is an independent reality out there consisting of substantial self-existing objects in relation to one another, that chief among these is a me, a self in relation to other objects among these substantial objects, and that most of what we experience as real is real. This is a mouthful, but I just want to give a flavor of how dependent co-arising gives us the theoretical foundation for contemplation of phenomena. I've described this model in detail in my book, Dependent Co-Arising, to which I also devoted a series of podcasts last year. The main thing to highlight is the central role of cognizance in overseeing the production of presumptions. The Buddha likens the presumptiveness of cognizance to a magic show, in that it conjures up an experienced reality, often outrageously by sleight of hand and illusion, but a reality which the wise are able to see as insubstantial if they look carefully. The Buddha tells us, Now suppose that a magician or a magician's apprentice were to display a magic trick at a major intersection, and a man with good eyesight were to see it, observe it, and appropriately examine it. To him, seeing it, observing it, and appropriately examining it, it would appear empty, void, without substance. For what substance would there be in a magic trick? In the same way, a monk sees, observes, and appropriately examines any cognizance that is past, future, or present, inner or outer, blatant or subtle, common or sublime, far or near. To him, seeing it, observing it, and appropriately examining it, it would appear empty, void, without substance. For what What substance substance would there be in cognizance? The man with good eyesight is the Satipatthana practitioner. Sneaking behind the stage to discover the magician's tricks is internal analysis of what the magician is up to. The magician is cognizance. His props and techniques are formations the black boxes, mirrors, and sleights of hand. The scholar monk Nyanananda pointed out that the Sankara, the Pali word for formations, would also refer to a magician's resources. Nyanananda translated Sankara as preparations. Name and form is what the uninformed audience experiences. For the audience, the performance seems so real. How can that be? But there it is. Seeing is believing. Contact is what cognizance constructs within name and form. Attention is where cognizance constructs it. These represent the processes by which cognizance reads and writes name and form. The world as we experience it. Contact is important in the present context. The sixth of 12 links, it represents the upper limit of internal analysis. It is what we contemplate when we contemplate externally without getting caught up in the narrative about the reality presumed to exist out there with its substantial objects. We note that the first six links of dependent co arising have to do with meaning construction at the conceptual level, the level of things and their relations. Again, these are ignorance gives rise to formations, gives rise to cognizance, gives rise to name and form, gives rise to the sixfold sphere, gives rise to contact. These six links are the proper domain of internal analysis at the heart of the Satipatthana. After contact, things spin out of control. The next three links reflect the affect of our emotional response to the presumed substantial objects in relation to the self. We have contact gives rise to feeling, feeling gives rise to craving, and craving gives rise to appropriation. We are now in the middle of the fetters and the development of a personal stake in the world. This is the primary human absurdity, that we presume the world out there in our own minds in a certain way, then we take it as really real, then we become infatuated with its objects, and then we crave them, then identify with them as me and mine, much like Pygmalion of Greek legend. First, we misapprehend the world, then we misbehave in the world of misapprehension. The first six links we address through wisdom, and Satipatthana is the heart of that. The second we address through virtue. Virtue. Failing in both endeavors, we presume a hardened personality with an identity and a personal footprint right at the center of the world, a constructed ball of craving and suffering that persists even past death. Appropriation gives rise to becoming, becoming gives rise to birth, and birth gives rise to the perpetual suffering of samsara. In short, my claim is that the first half of the Twelve Links of Dependent co provides the theoretical backdrop for internal analysis in the Satipatthana. It explains the purpose of the detailed examination of phenomena in terms of overall goals of Buddhist practice and provides a wealth of additional topics of examination defined in terms of moment-to-moment, Experiential observables. However, there is a glitch. There is no unanimity about how to interpret the links of dependent co arising, particularly the links before contact. This seems to have been a matter of controversy since the early centuries of Buddhism. However, support for and consistency with the Satipatthana exercises is a strong source of evidence in favor of a particular interpretation. The dominant interpretation historically is certainly the three lives interpretation. Let's see how it compares with what I've been advocating. In the three lives interpretation, the early links of dependent co-arising describe, get this, the conception and growth of the fetus in the womb. Cognizance is something entirely different from the cognizance I've described in these talks. Cognizance travels into the womb carrying formations. For their part, formations are the yet-to-be-realized fruits of karmic activity from the previous life. Cognizance unites with a fetus to give rise to a viable psychophysical organism name and form is that organism generally translated as body and mind the five physical sense faculties eye ear etc that is the sixfold sphere then grows in the fetus to produce a capacity for contact with the things of the world in the course of the second life in short the three lives interpretation accounts for Formations give rise to cognizance, gives rise to name and form, gives rise to the sixfold sphere in terms of an external narrative about biology, rather than in terms of the internal conceptual construction of the experiential world. Only at contact is anything observable in Satipatthana terms. The three-life interpretation, so-called because we still get another rebirth near the end of the chain, has serious problems. First, cognizance in this interpretation seems to have little to do with how cognizance is described virtually everywhere in the suttas. Second, what goes on in the womb seems to be theoretical speculation and not even novel or interesting speculation about an underlying mechanism with little direct relevance to daily experience or practice. And finally, the three lives model is fatal to the prospect of internal analysis in the Satipatthana. Recall that the purpose of internal analysis is to undermine presumptions of substantial existence by demonstrating that an object is conditionally arisen cognitively and impermanent. It succeeds through moment-to-moment observation of the conditioning factors or evidence. The self, the body, the mind, and last week the eye have been highlighted as such objects that worldlings habitually presume to be fixed and substantial. Well, the three-life interpretation declares exactly these things to be fixed and substantial. It's true that body and mind and therefore the self arise conditioned by cognizance but only one time per life which makes it for all practical purposes fixed and substantial particularly in the moment-to-moment time frame of satipatthana practice. Body, mind, self, and I remain fixed for many decades. What bit of relative impermanence they have is unobservable for decades on end as far as the three-life model is concerned. The impermanence we observe in the Satipatthana along with the insubstantiality of these objects are contradicted by the three-life interpretation. So, Maybe dependent co-arising is not intended as a backdrop for satipatthana practice, that it is understood in some other context in which an external narrative happens to be pragmatically helpful. This is unlikely. Recall the statement by the Buddha that equates understanding dependent co-arising with understanding the Dhamma. Let me give the wider context of this statement. It occurs in the simile of the Elephant's Footprint Sutta, in which we find the following When internally the eye is intact, and exterior visual forms come into its range, and there is the corresponding engagement. Then there is the manifestation of the corresponding part of cognizance. The visual form in what has come to be is included in the form aggregate of appropriation. The feeling in what has come to be is included in the feeling aggregate of appropriation. And so on for the rest of the aggregates. He understands thus. This, indeed, is how there comes to be the inclusion, gathering, and amassing of things into these five aggregates of appropriation. This passage describes the dynamic interaction of the 6 sphere with the aggregates and how, when the eye probes visual forms, aggregate elements, little cognitive awareness events arise forms feelings perceptions formations and finally cognizance as part of the function of the eye this is actually an explanation of name and form gives rise to the sixfold sphere since all the aggregates are available at name and form and are necessary for the eye probe to succeed The dynamics of this passage is also in terms of experiential moment-to-moment observables. Next, immediately following this passage, comes the punchline.
1: Now this has been
0: said by the Blessed One. One who sees dependent co-arising sees the Dhamma. One who sees the Dhamma sees dependent co-arising. I submit that seeing of dependent co-arising here is moment-to-moment observation, in particular of cognitive awareness events of the kind facilitated in the Satipatthana. Indeed, this is the purpose of the Satipatthana, to see the Dharma for ourselves in our own experience, that is, to recollect Sati, the Dharma, as we attend to upadana, unfolding experience. Significantly, this entails using the links of dependent co-arising as a guide for internal analysis of what we otherwise presume without examination. When we see our presumptions, it's like seeing the magician's tricks. We no longer believe them, our cognizance no longer dares venture so far. The following sums up the advantage of controlling our presumptions. When, Bahia, there is for you in the seeing, mere seeing, in the hearing, mere hearing, in the sensing, mere sensing, in the cognizance, mere cognizance, then, Bahia, there is no you in connection with that. When Bahia there is no you, in connection with that, there is no you there. When Bahia there is no you there, then Bahia, you are neither here nor there nor in between the two. This, just this, is the end of suffering. There is a means to control presumptions directly but temporarily that works hand-in-hand as part of satipatthana practice. It is concentration, which arises from investigation of phenomena through the seven factors of awakening. This will be the topic of next week's talk.